Hi, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Practical CMO. I don't think we could find a more timely topic than the one we're going to take on today, which is digital marketing. And we'll talk a little bit why it's so timely. But digital marketing is really the first step on a longer term digital roadmap. Now, the adoption of digital in your business may be an initiative you considered, but maybe you've tabled it consistently or kicked it down the road. But today, with markets rebounding from COVID and with quickly forming preferences, which will transform the way business is done online, you may actually be behind the curve. When we talk about digital, we say digital offers increased abilities to manage your employees and your customer acquisition and relationships as online business becomes more of a preference and less of an option. But digital is also very hard to define. It's hard to prioritize. It's often hard to execute well. But today we're gonna to talk about the approach we recommend, which is business first, digital second. And this expert session will help you structure an effective digital roadmap for your business, starting with digital marketing best practices. So let's get the conversation started. And today I'm going to introduce one of my colleagues from Chief Outsiders, Beth Ann Story. Beth has just recently done a bunch of work on behalf of us at Chief Outsiders on digital marketing, particularly putting together a digital marketing assessment. And I'm gonna let Beth talk a little bit more about her background and business and interests in the topic. But Beth, why don't you kind of just give us a little bit of an introduction and then share your thoughts about the importance of digital marketing today. Sure, and thanks for having me, Mark. I appreciate the opportunity to sit and chat with you about this. Even though I might be a little bit older than most demographers would suggest for a digital native, I've been in the digital world for a very long time, dating back really to the very early bleeding days of interactive TV or video on demand. In fact, I worked on what is now Verizon Fios back in the 90s. And I left there to go head up new media for the Weather Channel. So that was really an advertising supportive model, you know, publication type of model. And uh, from there, I went on to launch and lead OfficeDepot.com. So that was my first foray into e-commerce, and I kind of never looked back. I've gone on to run a couple of startups in the automotive space that were extremely disruptive models direct to consumer without a physical presence. So yeah, I've been in it quite some time and seen a lot. And of course, with Chief Outsiders, pretty much every client now has a digital aspect to it. Right. You know, I'd kind of call you a digital pioneer from some of the early things that you did, right? And I'm sure not everything worked out exactly the way you thought it might. And I think that positions you as really a, a digital expert, Beth, and one who understands best practices and benchmarks. Because I think when you try different things, it puts you into a position where you can say, well, we could go this route, but it may not work the way that we think, but here's a better path. And you know what we try to do on this program is to give people practical guidance, right? And so we're gonna tap into some of your thinking around it. I think you and I would agree that their digital is important, whether we look at the survey that Chief Outsiders just did, which we'll make available as part of the notes for this session. But you know, there's a couple of points I thought that we might extract from that research, Beth, that would sort of help frame our topic. And this concept of business first, digital second, is really, I think, an important one. I think you and I agree that when people talk about digital transformation, it may actually be a misnomer, right? Because it's really business transformation driven by digital. I mean, you agree with that and 
theory and a principle. Yeah, I think that's right. And and really, when you think about a business, there's just some fundamental facts why businesses succeed or fail. And if you ignore any of them, you're going to fail. So, for example, something sometimes we see is just because you build it does not mean that they will come. So there's been situations where people have failed to really assess the market properly and figure out if there's demand or they've created the wrong product or service offering, the wrong set of features and functionalities. So you know, you really have to start with research and getting the insights into the industry. That's your first step. And then mm-hmm. validate the opportunity and the potential demand. Only then, if you have proven that, should you even move forward with developing your products and services. And then from there, you've got to determine a differentiated position in the market. If you don't have all of those basics done, the best marketing in the world is not going to help you. So right. what we like to say is the best marketing in the world won't fix a bad product. Yeah, and you know, I think there's a lot of great guidance in what you've said, but one particular part of it I want to really explore more deeply, and that is really sort of understanding what your customer preferences are for digital, right? Because I think I think a lot of businesses just do, you know, we, we talk about in Chief Outsiders, we often use the language, you know, random acts of marketing, right? And in the webinar that I did, I actually talk about random acts of digital, right? People are doing things, but they don't really know why they're doing them. They're not, those things, those tactics are not aligned with a digital strategy or a marketing strategy. They don't really measure them. So they don't really know what works, but you know, they're reluctant to stop doing it in case it actually did work, right? And you know, to me, this notion of continuous improvement or iteration in terms of trying things and finding things that work and not stopping things that don't work is really part of setting up an internal business development and digital culture for a business. Yeah, I agree. And one of the challenges though, is people think because it's digital, you can measure it and they don't always measure the right things. So you get people, I was talking to someone just the other day, they were dealing with an ad agency who was focusing on reporting to them the number of impressions. Right. That's very 1998. (laughs) It's not about the impressions anymore. It's are you driving the business? Back when I was doing marketing for some car dealers, again, the, the company that was doing some of the administering of the paid search, they were focused on click through rates and cost per click. Right. That's really not where it's at. What you want to get to is what's the cost per lead? Because if you're a car dealer, you're going to pay, and I haven't kept up with the most recent dollar amounts, but at the time I was working on this, you might pay auto trader or someone like that about $20 per lead. And that mm-hmm. lead was going to go to multiple car dealers. And then it's kind yeah. of speed to lead. First one usually wins, yeah. right? But if you were doing paid search, your leads were only coming to you. And at that time we were down under $8 per lead and they were only coming to us. So to me, that's an example of really getting in and understanding the numbers. Yeah. Now, it also depends on uh, when I was running OfficeDepot.com, looking at just visitors to a website at the time office max had more visitors than us but you really have to get under the cover and say well what's really important what kinds of visitors are you taking people out of your physical stores are you selling to consumers for 60 dollars sale or and then having to deliver that or are you moving people from a more expensive ordering channel ordering you know at the time by phone or by human and moving them to a less expensive ordering channel and driving, you know, $175 per order, which would you rather 
roll a truck for $60 every three months or 175 every three weeks. So it's a matter of getting in there and figuring out what are the, the real numbers that you need to look at. Same with, with paid search. Again, just because you drove someone to the website, were those the people who actually converted? So you've got a little dig a little deeper through that whole customer journey to get a clear picture of what's driving your actual revenue and profitability. Yeah. And that customer journey, Beth, I think whether we're talking B2B or B2C has really gotten complicated, right? You know, at some point and any buyer's journey, I mean, you know, I think some marketing people think they can actually drive a journey, control a journey. And the reality is that, you know, here's the dirty little secret in marketing, right? We can't. People go where they want to go for information and what order they want to go. Now, you know, are they going to stop by a business's website somewhere in that journey? Sure. I mean, that's almost a given, right? But do right. they go there first? Do they go there last? Or do they go there in the middle of that journey, you know, for education and information and product reviews and things like that, right? And I think that makes it a challenge for marketing people today to try to understand how that journey actually works. It's really true. There, it's not linear anymore. It's someone could come to your website or they could see an ad, then they come to your website, then they see a retargeting ad, or they see something on social media, they see an ad, so you go, they go to your social media site, maybe then they end up at your website. I do wanna take a moment though, to talk about the importance of the website. Uh, yeah. Recently, I had a PE firm ask me, I did a complete digital review for them on a prospect they were bidding on. They were going to buy a company in a niche space within consumer retail. And they asked me at the end of all of it, they said, well, where should we start first? Should we start on organic or paid? And my response was neither. You need to fix your website first. Yeah. yeah. The website is slow. It's clunky. It's a really bad user experience. Your checkout is messy. It's not straightforward. So people really need to make sure, like if I tell people, if you're going to start one place, start with your website, because that mm -hmm. is your storefront. That is also your digital salesperson. 70% yeah. um, you know, of people of a buyer's journey, whether it's B2B or B2C is done digitally. And on the B2B side, over 67% of people, they're 67% through their journey before they even contact someone from yeah. the company. So yeah. your website, you need to set some standards and goals for your website. And it really needs to do the job of your best salesperson. And so what does that mean? It needs to help the visitors understand their needs and provide comprehensive information, easy to find, and both educational information, possibly on the category, and absolutely deep product information adding reviews, adding videos, and great specification sheets, high quality images. These are all things that help your site do the job that a great salesperson would do and help yeah. that user move along his journey, no matter where that journey is, is starting and where it finishes. Yeah, you're making a really good argument for the importance of good content, right? Rich content, you know, whether it's technical specs, or it's product reviews, or it's, you know, one or two minute sort of video, you know, video overviews of a product or a service, or kind of even a how to, you know, I, I mean, I think all that rich content is really the core of the website. And the website is the core of anybody's marketing program. I mean, let's, let's be clear about that, right? In the last couple of years, I worked with two businesses where their websites were so dysfunctional, 
I said, you know what, you'd be better off just turning them off right now. You know, one just presented the brand in such an awful way, if I can use that word, that, you know, it's kind of like, this is doing you no good whatsoever, right? It's probably doing you more harm. I said, you'd be better off just kind of going back to traditional sales presentation materials while we rethink your whole website approach, right? They'll kind of leave this out. And they did, they took it down until we could actually build a better performing website. You know, and you, you talked a little bit about performance and metrics. And just because you can measure things doesn't mean that everything is important, right? And, you know, another example uh, from a business is they thought they actually had a pretty high performing website. I mean, they were getting like 13,000 visitors a month. It's kind of like, wow, that's, you know, that's a big number, right? But then when I kind of dug into it, Beth, I found that you know, their bounce rate was like 98%. And I've never seen a bounce rate quite so high. And the average time on site was 30 seconds. And so I was thinking like, well, you know, what's going on here? And then I realized that their URL uh, made visitors think they were going to a U.S. government OSHA website. And it wasn't, it was something totally different, right? Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, we have to rebuild this from the URL on up because that URL is doing you absolutely no favors, right? I mean, what what do 13,000 people do? And, you know, 98% of them go, what is this, right? And then they're gone as soon as they figure that out. Well, you bring up, you know, you're, you're sort of entering a section that I think is important to help people on. I mean, first of all, I want to make sure that anyone who's listening understands bounce rate is when someone comes to one page of your website and leaves quickly. And so you, in addition to looking at the bounce rate on your homepage, you want to look at the bounce rate on all your pages to identify if there are some problematic pages. Uh, I also want to give a couple examples of things, Mark, that I think would be helpful to people. I'll talk for a second about a site that I looked at recently for a digital marketing assessment. So this company, compared to its competitors, people spent less time on the site, but went to more pages. And that's sort of an odd combination because you would think that if people spend more time on the site, they're viewing more pages. So I dug into the user experience and what I discovered was the site did not work well. On some browsers, if you clicked on from a search results page, if you clicked on add to cart on an item, it did in fact add it to the shopping cart, which is what you would expect. Mm-hmm. However, and I keep everything updated on my computer and the experience I was getting was that I would click on add to cart from the search results and it would then take me to a product details page and I would have to click on add to cart again. So that is the type of you know curiosity that someone at a CMO level brings to just looking at the numbers. You, know, you don't accept them at face value, you say why. Another right. example with the same, the same site, I noticed that they had that one of their top exit pages, meaning the page that people left the site on was the shopping cart page. And I thought, wow, that's that's terrible. People have already shopped, they've put things in their cart and they're leaving. Boy, if I was them, I would be sending abandoned cart emails to try to get those people back. Mm-hmm. So then that led me to look at the landing pages, i.e. the entry page. At what page do people enter the site on? And lo and behold, the cart page was one of the top pages. Now, how would you get to the cart other than an abandoned cart email? So it said to me, they are doing abandoned cart emails, but wow, really they need to fix what's going on there. Mm -hmm. Um, And you were starting to touch on a space that a lot of people really don't think about and don't know about. They think about just sort of how it appears to the user. But the other thing you have to think about is how your site appears to Google. 
And there are really important technical things and they're changing all the time. Uh, Google's about to make another change in May where there's gonna be a bigger emphasis on the user experience. So mm -hmm. page load speeds, things like that. But there's also data that you code into a page that tells Google what the page is about. You mentioned URLs. URLs are really important. And if your URL can also help tell what your page is, is about accurately, that's really gonna help you. But you also have a title field, you have a description field, and they really should be unique to every single page. Google penalizes you for mm -hmm. duplicative content on a site. I'm starting to go down into some details, but I think it's helpful yeah. for people to realize just how complicated this can get. Well, I want to just take that search topic for a couple of minutes and then we'll take a break here for a little commercial. But I suspect most people understand that Google periodically changes the search algorithm, right? And I don't think they understand, well, I think this was three years ago, someone told me that they actually tried over 2000 sort of different versions of a search algorithm. And then during that year, they made three big algorithm changes, right? They're always tuning the algorithm up. And a year ago in January, the change was so significant that a lot of businesses who used to be on page one with, you know, two word search terms fell off the page, right? I mean, they might have dropped down to page eight or page 10 and they didn't know why. They're like, what, are we, what happened to us, right? We didn't do anything different. Well, what happened to them was, you know, Google implemented a multi-word, more natural language search algorithm, right? And so now, you know, you'd really need four-word search terms. Two-word search terms don't work as well, right? And your point about giving a preference for mobile-enabled sites and faster sites and sites that are more authoritative is really important, right? If you don't know those things and you're not adjusting your website and your search strategies, you're going to, you know, you might have been competitive at one point, but you aren't likely going to stay that way. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, those are some of the categories that we analyze in our digital marketing assessment. We look at all of the, those different pieces. And I want to just mention something, you know, you talked about the natural language. And so what that means is you can't just keyword stuff. So you can't just list a bunch of keywords in your title or your description, and you shouldn't even in your website. Google wants it to be more like you're having a conversation. Another really important thing to understand is how Google ads really works. If you place an ad and you bring someone to a landing page, that landing page should have the same terms that that ad has on it because they're really aiming for Google to be helpful to the user. So if you do a search and you're looking for, let's say mugs with dogs on it, for your daughter, for example, someone might have done that. Someone you someone know. might have. Right. <laughs> someone. You want to get to a site and a landing page where you're going to see mugs with dogs on them, right? You don't want to get to a site that has mugs with maybe college logos on it, unless mm -hmm. maybe it's Georgia and it's a bulldog. I don't know. Right. <laughs> but it's really about you have to think through of what would you, as an individual, when you're looking for things, what would you want? What would you expect? And what would be most helpful to you? And furthermore, all of those things, what they result in is people who transact. And that's right. really, at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. Whether yes. it's filling out a form to get more information, picking up the phone, putting something in your cart and shopping, there's some type of action. And so every page in a website, when I'm doing a critique of a website, I look at it and say, what do people need to think and know on this page? 
what do they need to feel and what should they be able to do and what are they likely to want to do and then and then lastly as the company what do i want them to do too many mm -hmm. people start the other way they start yeah. from the position of we even their websites we do this we do that we do that and it's really not about the company it needs to be about the customer yeah when i um work with businesses and we recast their positioning and particularly their value proposition i don't allow them to use the word we us or ours I force them to use you and like, oh, like if you're sitting across the table talking to somebody, right? You'd say, okay, well, you know, this here's what we can do for you, right? Or here's how we can help you. You know, there's some pretty interesting landmark research that's come out recently. A McKinsey study, which came out um, a month or so ago, talked about how, you know, B2B sales and marketing will be changed forever because of the impact of COVID on businesses, right? And, you know, we know that COVID has really dampened the opportunities for some businesses and created opportunities for others, right? So not everybody sort of has been impacted in the same way, but certainly the way that companies go to market has been impacted, right? So why don't you talk a little bit about some of your thoughts related to how COVID has changed behavior and what the implications are for businesses. We were starting to see the economic rebound. I think it would be really helpful to kind of cast a little bit of the sort of COVID shadow on the conversation, if you will. Sure. Uh, well, the last couple of years, I've written um, end of the year, sort of early of the year articles about retailing and looking at what's changed. And so when I was writing an article about going into 2020, the rage was experiential retailing. Everyone was talking about these in-store experiences. There were things like Canada Goose, a company that makes parkas, creating these ice rooms where people could go in and see just how warm that parka kept them. You know, there were companies, you know, putting pools in parking lots. There were people letting you ride, you know, run on treadmills in their stores and test things. So it was, it was all the rage. And then COVID hit. And really what happened was Stores closed, everyone cocooned, quarantined. I like cocooned, it's friendlier mm -hmm. at home. And online shopping took off. I mean, the home became the epicenter for work, exercise and entertainment, socializing a little bit, right? And I'm sure Mark, you and I were both outgoing and I know we really look forward to getting back out in the world, but I think people should make no mistake that the digital forward customer is here to stay. You had a stat from McKinsey in your presentation that you gave last week, you know, that 70 to 80% of B2B decision makers prefer remote human interactions. So they don't even want to have coffee with us. They, right. they don't want to have remote interactions. And you know, 89% of companies expect these changes to stick. So the world has changed forever. Yeah. And we have to adapt to that. So we have to learn how to serve our prospects and customers the way they want to work with us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and understanding that I think is important to structuring digital customer engagement processes, right? When I think about sort of the digital roadmap, right? The phase one I always think about is digital marketing. And then the next phase is digital customer engagement. And, you know, my recommendation for this is to, is to think about all your front end sort of sales and marketing processes, right? And try to understand how they're working for you. In other words, do a, a process assessment, right? Look at time, cost, quality, service levels for those processes. 
internally first, right? But then, you know, once you say, oh, gee, here are 12 or 15 different things we could do digitally to engage with customers, how do you know what, what number one should be or number 15, right? It's easy to ask customers, right? Just say, look, here are all these different things we're thinking about, what's most important to you? And once you get, you know, your own pri internal priority list, and then you match it to your customer's priority list, you can say, well, gee, just because online chat is easy to deploy, it doesn't mean that anybody really wants it, right? Or if they do, do they want sort of text-based online chat or do they want real people, right? I mean, there's different levels of online chat. So I think the notion of asking your customers what their preferences are and then trying to align those insights with your own plans is pretty important. And, and, you know, it's interesting because we hear so much talk about AI these days, right? And you hear about chat bots, but I'll tell you, I, I, I vote with my wallet and I had a bad experience with a major financial services company and I mm. took $2,500 away from them and moved it to somebody else because the customer service experience was so bad. And what, what happened was this, you get in these chat bots that are AI driven that haven't really been thought through and that won't eventually let you get to a human. Mm -hmm. And that's a mistake I see people making. They think technology can solve everything and take the place of every human interaction. But especially if you have highly emotional charged product like financial services, or you've got a big ticket item, you better the heck know how to staff for chat and be mm -hmm. able to have a people let people get to a human. So yeah. this is really big. I've been in, I've done a lot of work in automotive, right? I've seen entire car deals go through chat, but now it's even getting, it's getting even more elaborate because now in addition to sharing just maybe a link to a particular vehicle on a car, you can do almost the whole transaction right mm -hmm. within, right within chat. You can see brochures, you can compare vehicles, you can get pre-qualified, you can get a trade-in evaluation, you can have a, 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 they call it desking the deal, getting a financing quote. Um, there's just so much you can do, but we're not to the point with AI yet where we can do it all. Krista Martin from Chief Outsiders has written a lot of articles on AI that people may wanna look at, but um, it's not, you know, it's not the solution to everything. And it, you have to really think about and anticipate the questions and the information that a user might want. Mm -hmm. But what's really exciting about chat and, and messaging and things is that these are people raising their hand saying, I want information now. I don't want to lob a form in and wait for someone to call me. I want information now. That's a hot prospect. Yeah. And, you know, the, this whole notion of AI, which is the sort of hotter, more emerging technologies in marketing applications today, it reminds me of, you know, the, the days when I was also a chief information officer and I was responsible for technology and some, a couple of fortune 200 companies and, um, you know, what I learned is just because the technology is commercially ready, right? It doesn't mean that your business, your organization has the intelligence and the maturity to deploy and support that technology effectively, right? I mean, yeah. technology can, does, it can do many different things, right? And I think with AI, a lot of businesses are just exploring today, well, could it do this and could it do that? And they don't understand the 
internal implications of it. And, you know, I think when you set up a customer experience, if it's all going to be online, okay, then somebody sort of gets that, right? You know, I think most journeys today are some form of calls, uh, Zoom meetings, in-person visits. There's an online component to that. If that online component doesn't support the same positioning that your brand does or your your business has or your products have, and it's sort of a, a diminished experience versus the other one, and particularly if you've got it like a high-end product, right? I think that can actually harm you more that can, that can help you. So that consistency in supporting that journey with good quality and consistent execution of your value proposition is pretty important. Yes. Another much misunderstood area, Mark, is social media. You know, people think we got to be in every channel. We got to be on Facebook. We got to be on Instagram. We got to be on Pinterest. Got to be on LinkedIn. Got to be on Twitter. The answer is no, you don't. Right. <laughs> I mean, you need to be wherever your customers and prospects engage. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you have to understand engagement. It's not just about the number of followers and the number of posts that you make. It's about the quality of your posts and the way you measure the quality of your posts is the engagement. And there's three levels of engagement. Again, this is something we look at with our digital marketing assessment. The, right. the, the first form is what I call applause. So that's a like. It's very easy. It's almost passive. You just click like. Right. Mm-hmm. The second piece is conversation. And this is people who are taking time to put comments in and respond to the post. But the holy grail is amplification. And this is where you're creating content that people share and it's increasing your audience size and it's people really engaging because you're putting things that are interesting to them. So one of the things that you might see is, I was just looking at something today in the agricultural space and it said, their number one Facebook post was show us your tractor repair. Mm. Okay. So they're inviting people. Um, Contests are also a great way. Show us your, your video or your favorite epic fail, whatever it is, your, your wipeout on a motorcycle, whatever it is. But it's, people really don't understand a lot of times how to use social media effectively. And there, you know, there's even categories where social commerce super important when you think about cosmetics and beauty i mean those spaces have just exploded with what instagram's done with making it easy to be able to sell products online Mm -hmm. right that's another area where it's hard to know everything it changes a lot you lose a lot of control in some of those channels i was looking at tiktok for a cosmetic company and it's hard to tell if you're not concentrating on looking to say was this video actually posted on the company's page by the company or just by some random person and i'm not yeah. sure the consumer makes that distinction you know oh, even probably wouldn't looking at it. Yeah. yeah so so you lose some control but you know you also get that user generated content which you hope is good but it's not always good and yeah. you know one of the problems we've seen in society is haters are going to hate and people hide behind digital so people send emails of saying things they would never say to someone face to face. They post things. I mean, look at the vitriol that we've seen on, on, especially on Facebook and Twitter with the recent election. So it, there's just a whole lot of things involved in social and there's a whole category of companies that do reputation management. So it's another area that's often overlooked and misunderstood and not yeah. leveraged. Yeah. So, you know, if I can kind of, summarize and clarify what you just said. I mean, you're saying, look, this whole area of digital is a sort of option-rich environment, right? There's so many things you could do 
understanding the ones that you should do based on your ideal customer profiles and your target markets is really pretty important, right? Totally agree with you on that. Just kind of close um, this podcast and just ask you to sort of do a quick walkthrough of what, I mean, often place to start is with a digital marketing assessment, given all the richness of the options and things that you might be trying, but not really understanding the impact of. So what does that look like, Beth, to do a, what we call a DMA, a digital marketing assessment? Sure. Well, you know, first I'll share, we, we tend to have two different audiences for our digital marketing assessment. You know, one is private equity firms who are considering investing or buying a business. And so they really want to know where the company they're considering buying stacks up against the competition. And they really want to know what are the untapped opportunities there, right? Because that's how they make money. They've got to figure out a way to increase the value of the company. And it's pretty similar as well for companies. But, you know, our client executives, they're interested in kind of the same thing, but it's usually part of an overall engagement. Chief Outsiders, we often use a framework called Insights strategy and then execution and it's Mm -hmm. it's while we're still maybe looking for some quick wins want to make sure that we understand the market the customer the competition and the company really well and so the digital assessment helps us understand their digital presence and their digital marketing opportunities vis-a-vis their competitors so oftentimes we'll see things that our competitors are doing that are great ideas and we're not doing them. Our client's not doing them. Sometimes we see things that our competitors are doing that aren't such good ideas. And that's where we add value as well to advise them on that. But we're looking at everything from traffic volume and engagement to the sources of traffic, social media present engagement, e-commerce, you know, usability of the website, all of these kinds of things, what's in the tech stack, what's the site built with, what's the, what's the technologies that they're using. So it's, these reports are tend to be over hundred pages. They're a very deep dive, but what's most valuable probably to our executives and our PE firms is the front end. We, we actually give a report card and we give the company a score on how they're doing in all these different areas. And then we get very specific actionable recommendations for what they need to do to tap the opportunities that they have ahead of them. And so then there's lots of backup on that of how we came to those conclusions, but those conclusions are are really, really valuable to people because it's not just you're good, you're bad, whatever. It's how you can get better. Here are very specific things you should do. Yeah. And, you know, I think a good digital marketing assessment certainly follows the guideline is, you know, it's sort of facts, findings, implications, recommendations, right? If you just stop at facts, right? you know, well, your website's low. Okay, fine. Right. Your, your website is not secure. Oh, well, okay. You know, it's really sort of, what do you do about it? Right. I mean, that's the real benefit of a digital marketing assessment. It's the giving you a sort of a proactive plan for achieving higher level performance from the level of investments that you're making in digital. So, you know, we'd really encourage your audience to explore that. We'll put a link in the introduction. If you're interested in looking at a, what a DMA looks like, will give you a link to be able to do that. And then Beth, I also think it would be important for our audience if they want to contact you and talk about a digital marketing assessment and just explore some of the great comments that you offered today. How would they do that? What's the easiest way for people to get a hold of you? Sure. You can either email me at bvanstory, that's B-V-A-N-S-T-O-R-Y at chiefoutsiders.com. Or give me a call, 804-332-4247. Be happy to take any calls and see if we can help you. And if we can't help you, I'll let you know that too. 
Well, hey, thanks everybody for joining us for this podcast. You know, a big topic, a critical topic, and one that you really will need to get your arms around if you're going to be successful going forward. So thanks, Beth, for joining us and stay tuned for a future edition of the Practical CMO. Cheers, everybody. Thanks.